Welcome, parents and caregivers. This is The Owner's Manual, a podcast for parents, and I'm your host, Drew Nash, coming to you from One to One Pediatrics in Danville, California. This is episode 108, and I'm very excited about the show today. My guest is an old friend of mine, as well as a fellow pediatrician. She'll talk to us about nutritional issues relevant to infants, toddlers, and children. We'll talk about when and how to start solid foods in babies, what foods to try and what not to try. We'll also go into issues relevant to toddler and older kids, what vitamin supplementation you might want to consider, when organic foods might be more important, and how to help your child get a balanced diet. After the main discussion, I'll answer some questions from listeners. The Owner's Manual, a podcast for parents, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most other podcasting platforms. This is a new project, and I'm sending out a special shout-out to all of our current listeners to spread the word. If you like listening to the show, tell your friends, and leave a comment on the app. I hope you'll subscribe to the show on whatever platform you use, so you can be notified when each new episode becomes available. In addition, visit our Facebook page at the Owner's Manual Podcast, where you can like us, post a comment, and even post a question to be answered on the show. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about, this is a great way to let us know. While we hope that listeners are able to learn and benefit from the content of this show, the information discussed on the Owner's Manual is not intended to diagnose or treat any specific individual or condition. There is no substitute for direct patient care from a trained clinician. If you have concerns about your child, we recommend that you make an appointment with your child's primary care physician for an evaluation. Before we get into the main topic for the day, I want to introduce a new segment that I'm adding to the show, Pediatric Fun Facts. Each week, I'll bring you an interesting pediatric fact that you probably didn't know and you might not believe. My brain is full of these little factoids, so I thought it would be fun to share some of them with the listening audience. So here goes. Did you know that babies can recognize a photo of their mother as early as four hours of age? Yep, that's true. So how do we know that? Well, let me tell you. In 1996, a researcher named T.G.R. Bauer came up with this clever idea. He put just-born babies in front of a video screen that flashed pictures of pairs of women, one of which was the just-born infant's mom. The other was a stranger. They put a pacifier with a sensor on it that connected to the screen. If the baby sucked one way, one woman would appear. If they sucked the other way, the picture of their mother would appear. After a period of watching and sucking, the baby would tend to suck more in the way to make their mother appear than they would for the stranger. Four hours old, that's crazy and amazing. Back in the dark ages, like 20 to 30 years ago, after a baby was born, they would fairly quickly whisk the baby away to the newborn nursery for the first bath and assessment and whatnot to let the mom rest. Now in most hospitals, the babies are left to bond with parents and family. And unless there's a significant medical issue, they're generally left in the mom's room for most of the time in the hospital. I think that's amazing, bonding. And now on to the show. Today's guest attended both college and medical school at the University of California, Davis. And that's where I first met her. 
she went on to complete her pediatric residency at Children's Hospital and Research Center in Oakland, California. Since 1995, she's been practicing primary care pediatrics in the San Francisco East Bay. And when she isn't working, she's active at home with her husband and two lovely daughters. Please welcome to the show my friend of over 30 years, Kathleen Smith. So welcome, Kathleen. I'm so glad you got to come in and, uh, and you're going to talk to us about childhood nutrition and issues related to that. So welcome to the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's start chronologically, just because I think that's going to make it more simple. When we talk about infants, uh, what are the things that you kind of focus on in kind of counseling parents as far as what types of foods to include and uh, balances and ratios and what issues do you kind of encounter? So basically, I encourage people to wait till six months for food. That's sort of the current recommendation. Um, mm -hmm. There is some stuff about allergy and maybe exposing certain infants to stuff early, and I sort of leave that up to the allergist yeah, to do. Yeah, and we addressed that in, in that, the yeah. previous podcast, so we, people can refer to that one as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in general, I tell people to wait till six months. Mm -hmm. um, because the newer research is suggesting that it's actually good to start higher allergy foods and that sort of things early, I actually tell people they can start with basically anything. So most people start with fruits, veggies, meats as early foods. Um, but it's okay to do like peanut butter mixed with applesauce early. Um, scrambled eggs when the child's ready for it texture-wise, which will be a little later. Mm -hmm. um, but you can really start with anything. Um, I just encourage people to start with one thing at a time mm -hmm. so that if you have a problem, you know who did it. Yep. So, you know, only one new thing every three to five days. Are there any foods that you would say you absolutely should not give an infant? So no honey yes. till a year. Yes, that's really the one thing that I've identified. Yeah. And that's not because of allergies. That's because of infant botulism. Exactly. So yeah. for people who don't know, it's a horrible thing. There's actually spores that potentially can live in the honey that reproduce in the infant's body and can cause a paralytic disease. It's temporary, but temporary can be months and months and months. Yes. And we've both no, seen not good. Yeah. We've both seen babies in the ICU on ventilators for long periods of time because of that. So that's the reason for no honey. It's not an allergy thing. Yeah. So but, honey's the one no no. Yeah. Short exactly. of that? Yeah. No coffee, no alcohol. But well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah, you really can start anything just um texture wise, I generally recommend starting with purees. Now there's there's this new, you know, um feeding thing about starting bigger pieces and that's a separate discussion. Um, okay. We can touch on that too. I mean, but, um, you're talking more like the infant led weaning thing or is yeah, that the, inf yeah. the infant led weaning is another thing that I think is, it's kind of come up in the last five years or I so. I get a lot of questions about it more recently. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of, I, in the, you know, but I tend to start, I tend to recommend starting with purees and then, um, slowly increase texture with time, give them mm -hmm. a chance to, you know, figure out how to handle it in their mouth. Um, and how many times a day would you start? So usually twice a day at six months. Mm -hmm. I usually tell people to bump to three times a day at like seven and a half, eight months. Mm -hmm. They'll um, show an interest. Yeah. They'll yeah. watch you eating and yeah. wondering, where's mine? Yeah. You can sense that. Yes, yeah. they do. They start to kind of follow, their eyes follow you across yes. the table. <laughs> yes, and that's one of the things that I uh, usually <laughs> use as an indicator to tell parents is, sure, kids will watch you all the time, but when they're getting to that five, six months age when they're really ready they'll watch you in a very more a very different more intense way and like follow the 
food from your fork to your mouth. And start to look upset that you're not giving it to them. Yes. Like, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> so, um, so orders of foods, really no preference. You start everything. I tell people to usually just start with fruits, veggies, and meats. Uh, sometimes if I have a child who has anemia, I'll encourage people to start meats early. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I think different cultures start with different things. You yes. know, I have I have families of Indian descent who like to start with dal early, and I, it's mm. a, that's a great food. So it just it you know, there's a lot of right ways to go, and, mm-hmm. and different countries do it really differently. Yeah, and there are cultural differences not just in what foods they start, but I've found cultural differences in literally how they feed the baby as they kind of progress out of toward the end of infancy. Most babies will start to self feed. Mm-hmm. Um, use their hands and mm-hmm. oftentimes literally push the spoon away. But I, there are some cultures where uh, what they do is they feed the child for long after a year and hmm. the kid doesn't touch the food. Interesting. It's odd. Yeah. Um, and not usually what we tell people to let kids do, but yeah. I think that's a cultural difference that I, I don't think long-term it makes an issue. It's just more. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I find that there are sometimes with kids at a certain point, they will start to refuse to eat if you don't let them feed themselves. Mm-hmm. And so there are kids where you really just kind of have to let them feed themselves. Yes. The other little trick I actually tell people, and this is a little further along, is that at the point where they really want to feed themselves with a spoon, but they're not very efficient, you need three spoons. <laughs> so <laughs> two for the kid, one for you. If you have two, they will take both. Yep. Um, if you have three spoons, then what you can do is let them practice with their spoons. And then in between spoonfuls that they get near their mouth, you can put food into their mouth so that they don't starve, but they can practice. And, and that, just just to be yeah, clear, because yeah. I tell people the exact same thing, <laughs> and I make it clear that these are things you did not learn in medical school or in residency. <laughs> no, these totally. are things you learn as a parent. Because <laughs> when you start with one spoon... <laughs> your five, six-month-old child will grab it. And then when you grab another spoon, they'll grab it with the other hand. And it's not until their hands are full of spoons. (laughs) I have that in a handout that you can use the third spoon. So, yes, you discovered that, too. Yes. So um, Same way. Three spoons to feed a baby. Two for them, one for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Then as far as progressing through, they when they start to finger feed, they'll usually reject the spoon. Yeah, And and it varies. I mean, it... It, it, yeah, exactly. They'll do some finger. They At some point, they'll practice with the spoon. They do a variety of things, whatever suits them, given the food type. And when when we go from uh, spoon feeding to finger feeding and you're starting to give them more lumpy food, yeah, uh, I get a lot of questions about, uh, is my baby going to choke? So can you speak a little bit to that? Sure. Yeah, and I um, what they're able to handle in their mouth improves with time and practice. So um, it should be soft. Um, mm-hmm. So you don't want un, you know, you don't want uncooked chunks of carrot. You want, you know, soft stuff. Yes. Um, but like typically at around eight or nine months, they can start to handle a little bit of finger food. So little, mm-hmm. um, you know, like um, beans cooked and mashed, um, little tiny shreds of chicken, little tiny bits of soft stuff is, mm-hmm. is fine. They can yep. start to do that. Cheerios are fine at yep. eight or nine months. Those are all you know, and just watch your child. They should always be watched while they're feeding. Yep. Um, it's not a bad idea to take a CPR class that teaches you choking just as a parent in general. I would agree. And, um, but, you know, just always watch them and give them, you know, little soft bits and gradually advance them as you think they're able to handle it. But I think I agree with you completely. I think that you'll see the risk is much greater of choking if you're giving your kid hunks of carrots or hunks of hot dogs as opposed to anything that's right. shredded, mashed, small. 
Yeah. Um, I use the contents of a burrito as a common source of if you're eating a burrito, just take a hunk of it and smear it on their tray. And most of those things yeah. are going to be small enough. Yeah. So it has to, in order to choke, it really has to be big enough to block your airway. It does. And, and so there's some classic choking hazards that we warn people about. So you always want to cut up grapes. You always want to cut up like cherry tomatoes, um, big juice, firm, juicy blueberries. Eat I tell corks. people to cut up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, anything that's round and smooth that would block an airway mm-hmm. should be cut into small pieces. Yep. Um, hot dogs or sausages should never be rings. They should be cut lengthwise yes. in smaller pieces. Um, and those should all be cut up to at least three years. And then I tell people at three, they shouldn't be dancing around, jumping up and down, eating them whole. <laughs> <laughs> no, they should not. Um, and then the other thing that um, we've been told by people who pull things out of lungs is no whole nuts, no hard candies, no popcorn kernels till four or five because they're fine till they aren't. And then you have to go fish them out. Yes. So I, I think a lot of that should be common sense. But it's nice to kind of tell parents, especially when they ask a question about choking. You're really not going to find someone who's eating mashed up shreds of chicken choking. But the thing that they will do is they'll gag oftentimes when they're learning how to eat. Often. And I think that that is something that freaks parents out. And the difference between gagging when you stuff too many little pieces of something small in your mouth Mm -hmm. or stick it too far back and choking, which is a totally different thing. There's also, they have to learn how to move things around their mouth. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've heard that they don't really learn the lateral chewing motion until close to 12 months, whether they have no teeth or a whole mouthful of teeth. So mm-hmm. there's certain things just mouth, you know, managing food in your mouth that takes some time to learn. Yes. So I think that's the other thing. Yeah. Okay. And then on the, also on the topic of foods and things, so vitamin supplementation for infants, uh, breastfed infants, we generally recommend vitamin D. Yeah. Are there any other vitamins that you generally push? And I recommend the vitamin D um, certainly for at least as long as you're breastfeeding at all. But really, I think there's benefits to it even past that. So I, you I know, would completely agree. And yeah, we can touch upon that a little bit as we kind of progress to the childhood nutrition okay. thing. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, I mean, so as far as infants, do you think they need any other than vitamin D? Any? And then I also recommend iron for um, babies who are early. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So certainly Primies. less than 37 weeks um, because you get most of your iron in that last month of pregnancy and they missed a lot of it. And do you do that uh, for like the first year or just for a certain period after um, they're born? I do it till six months Mm -hmm. and then I hemoglobin them at that point. Mm -hmm. And if their hemoglobin's good, then I tell people they don't have to continue. Um, And then also for moms who are anemic, I do do the same. I recommend the same thing for anemic moms for the babies to get iron for the first six months. Got it. So, yeah. Yeah, sure. But vitamin D, amount of vitamin D that a baby needs? 400 IUs. 400 IUs. And I recommend that. I think it's a good idea even through a year. And then we, we can talk later, but I usually would give more than that after that potentially mm-hmm. if people wish to. But if they're formula fed, if there's a mix, then we I usually err on the side of doing it. But if they're formula fed, do they need vitamin D? You don't have to, but I think there's still advantages to it. So I tell people I don't think there's a downside. Yeah. Um, so, you I know. I would agree. Yeah. And I've yeah. we were just talking before we started uh, – the interview, neither one of us have ever, ever really seen a kid with a high vitamin D level. No, I haven't. It's not really a thing. No. So low, yes. Okay. Yeah. So then move on to the toddler years as far as nutrition, um, things you encourage, things you discourage. Well, and, and let me back up one yeah. quick thing to infant feeding. So usually the other things I tell people is at six months, it should be mostly milk and a little bit of food. 
Mm-hmm. At nine months, you've, you're usually at about three meals a day, and it's usually about half milk, half food. So mm-hmm. typically 24 ounces of milk, whether it's formula, breast milk, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and for breastfed moms, that's often five or six feedings a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then half food at that point. Yep. And then usually as we progress to course, closer to 12 months, I encourage people to be closer to 16 ounces of milk and more food. So there's a progression. You're going from a exclusively yeah. liquid diet to a mostly yeah. solid table food diet, and over the course of six months, they transition. Yeah, yeah. And, and have fun. If you're enjoying the process and you're low-key about it, the baby will enjoy feeding more. They will be better eaters, and it'll be more relaxing and better for everyone. Mm-hmm. Good. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stress yeah. around feeding, and it, yeah. I think the purpose of these talks is to hopefully alleviate that for parents. Yeah. yeah. So then after a year, when you get to be the toddler... So with toddlers, um, they do tend to get pickier. Um, and that's a common thing that I tell people at 12 to 15 months is that there's some reasonable chance your baby might get a little pickier at this point. Mm-hmm. And your goal is to have a balanced diet over a week. So if you have a weird day, but the week is balanced, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll like something one day and then act like you tried to poison them with it the next day. That's completely normal yes. for their age. So that's just a good starting that that's a that's a good thing to know from just the start. Yes. Um, What's normal behavior for a toddler? Right, because yes. it's going to happen, and you'll be dismayed. Yes. Um, and then um, going forward, just more and more whatever your family eats. Mm-hmm. Um, you want ideally for the diet to look pretty balanced over a week, mm-hmm. as I mentioned. But um, offer your child a lot of different healthy foods. Um, and don't worry if some days look a little funny. Yep. Um, if you're at about 16 ounces of milk, um, you can, that gives you a little room for some cheese and yogurt. Um, if you're, and then I get questions sometimes from people saying why my child just doesn't want to drink milk anymore. It's fine. Give more cheese, give more yogurt. There's other calcium rich foods. So that's a great topic to touch on. So what is the purpose of giving milk to kids in general? Why do we do that? Yeah, it has calcium, it has protein. Those are both important nutrients, but you don't have to have milk to get them. And we have milk allergic kids who can't have them. There's milk allergic kids, and there's plenty of kids who just choose not to. And there are other sources of calcium, and there's other sources of protein. Exactly. Meats, other sources of calcium in their diet? Um, So edamame, tofu, um, dark green veggies, Mm -hmm. um, almond butter, or, Mm -hmm. you know, almonds for older kids. Um, so there are other, those are other good sources. Sesame seeds actually have calcium in them too. I did not know that. Yeah, that's okay. kind of good fact. Um, so yeah, there's there there are lots of other sources, and, and beans actually have some too. I don't know if they have quite as much, but those are all potential sources. And so. just to circle back again now yeah. to the vitamin D topic, yeah. because vitamin D is what enables us to better absorb calcium from our diet. Mm-hmm. So recommendations for vitamin D supplementation for a kid after a year of age? So I certainly think you could give 1,000 or 2,000 IUs a day safely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think up to 4,000 is considered safe for adults. So there's really a big range of yep. safety there, honestly. Now, if you look at the package inserts or the instructions, the recommendation for toddlers, I think, is currently at 800, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, But I, I, th- I, don't, I think it's generally recognized that that's not enough. Well, and I think there's honestly a big safety range there. So I yeah. think, you know, if 800 is fine, I, I think 2,000 is perf- perfectly safe too. So yep. I think anywhere in there is better than none. Yep. Um, and, and you and I, to say it again, have never seen a high vitamin D level in a kid. I have not. Yeah. Yeah. And including the kids who are supplemented. Yes. So usually right. it just bumps them into a 
a more normal range. Yes, you know, they, which is what we're shooting for. Yeah, we. I, I'm sure you see the same. I see a lot of kids in the 20s, and theoretically, it should be over 30, and there's some potential benefits at some higher levels, actually. Yep. Yeah. Both short-term and long-term. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. so I agree. So, um, But I think err on the side of giving vitamin D. Yeah. And to not. Yeah, and I think milk only has 100 IUs in every 8-ounce glass. So, you know, even if kids are drinking 16 ounces, you're only getting 200 IUs. So it's not very much. So I, I think it just is I helpful agree. to give some. And I've had kids who drink your, you know, three frosty glasses a day and still have really low vitamin D levels, and that kind of speaks to that. Yeah. Okay. Other vitamins you might recommend in toddlers? Um, I think a high quality omega three mm-hmm. is a good thing. Um, so DHA, um, EPA and DHA are the two omega threes that you get in fish oil. Yep. Um, and you can also there are algae sources for these also. Um, but DHA is a building block for brain and eye, and you build a lot of brain and eye in the first three years. So mm-hmm. it's good to have lots of it around. Uh, is there a source of that that you think is palatable? Because the issue oftentimes is flavor. You know. I like Nordic Naturals, and I don't know if I shouldn't be using a name oh, I brand. Don't care. But, I don't, um, they can pay me later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Nordic Naturals is a good brand that I really like. It comes lemon flavored and strawberry flavored. Um, a lot of the studies that looked at um, omega 3s for attention and mood and other stuff were actually based on their product. Um, so it's been well researched. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and it tastes pretty good. Keep it refrigerated. So, a couple of things with the liquid form. Um, keep it in the fridge. It is fish oil. It will get fishy if you leave it out. Mm-hmm. Um, shake it up well before you pour some into a spoon or something. Um, do you give it straight up or do you try to hide it in things? My toddlers, uh, my, my kids were now teens. Yeah. When they were toddlers, loved it. They, I would just give it to them on a spoon straight up. It was lemon flavored and they Mine would kind of give, they'd give me the big, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is, which is, yes. yeah, I, I hear both. Yes. Um, but no, mine liked it and would like mm-hmm. open their mouth for more. And I'm like, sorry, that's it. So. Uh, okay. Depends on the kid. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. yeah, at a certain point, they decided they did not like it anymore. And they make a gummy as well, don't they? They do. Um, I think if you look at the amounts, though, um, you should look at the milligrams because I know like they have these tiny little strawberry capsules, yeah. but you need 10 of those to equal one teaspoon. Oh. It'll cost you a lot more okay. money. So the liquid's um, probably the way to go. I think the liquid's probably better quality. Okay. Um, and I don't know how much is in a gummy. So yeah. you can, and you're going to get a bunch of sugar with that. So right. No, I, I so, agree. Um, you could put a little fish oil in a smoothie, potentially. Mm-hmm. Maybe put you know put a little smoothie in a cup and then mix a little oil in that. Mm-hmm. You could try it. Yeah. Yeah, I think experimenting and probably putting it in something that has a flavor that's both palatable to that child mm-hmm. and a little strong. I've had people tell me that they hide it in like chocolate pudding, which if they really like the chocolate pudding, they may it would work. Ignore the overtones of the fish oil but yeah i don't know if the lemon would work and, I don't know. and if it's really fishy it's probably rancid so if if it you know if it tastes a little marine but not bad it's it's fine but if it tastes really fishy it's gone bad throw it out and get some new exactly yeah okay yeah. great and then as we move off to uh, more school age kids nutritional issues that you see and I mean, one of the things that i personally experience as a parent is you know they go off to school and you either give them a lunch or have them buy lunch and they come home and they didn't have lunch (laughs) (laughs) or they trade (laughs) They trade. Well, you can't trade because of the whole nut thing these days. I actually, I actually asked my son there once, you know, did he trade anything? And he looked at me like I asked him, you know, if he committed a crime at school. 
So. That's hilarious. Well, yeah, I know they're not supposed to trade. No I'm trading. Pretty sure my kids did at times, okay. though, from what I hear. Let's change gears a little bit and talk a little bit about um, quality of food that you feed kids and types of choices that parents make because it's the parents that are really controlling what's for lunch and what's for dinner. Yeah, you have a lot of control early on. And um, I encourage people to just stick with really healthy foods um, with their babies and their toddlers um, because they don't they don't know about all of the things out there that might not be as healthy for them. So mm-hmm. if you don't introduce it to them, they don't even know it exists. Um, if you feed them a lot of healthy foods, um, they will learn to like those foods. And, um, and if you give them foods that are less healthy or things that people call you know, kid food that may not be as healthy, but people think, oh, that kids like these foods, they will learn to like those foods also. Yes. So um, feed them feed them healthy foods, feed them a variety of foods. One of the things we touched upon when I was talking to Dr. Weisseshai, when we were talking about picky eaters, was yeah. the kids' menu at restaurants. Oh, it's awful. Which is just basically a potpourri of processed and low nutritional value foods. Yeah. It's awful. It's awful. So she said, don't even look at that menu. Just give them a bit of what you're eating. For sure. But just in the home setting, um, things to avoid, directions to not go in? Well, I mean, so, um, you know, introduce lots of fruits and veggies. Introduce beans and lentils. Um, You know, if you are a family that eats meat, meat's a great food. Um, And feed them whatever types of foods you tend to eat. Uh, I would recommend trying to do whole grains for noodles and bread and rice. Um, that's where most of the nutrition is in the in the grains. Um, so when you go from whole grain to white, you lose magnesium, which helps with brain function. You lose B vitamins, which help with brain function. You lose vitamin E, which protects your cells from damage over the years. These mm-hmm. are these are important nutrients that you lose that you lose early on. Yeah, uh, in, early, in your, right. right early on in infancy when yeah. you need those things all the more. Yeah, yeah. exactly, mm-hmm. and they they help support your brain development and all the all, and your body's development. So yes. um, stick with the healthy foods. There's no reason you need to give them French fries or ice cream, other stuff. Um, there will come a point where that's going to happen and that's fine. Um, but early on, you have a lot of control over their food. You will have less control every year um, until you have very little control later when they're teenagers. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. but um, if you have kind of programmed them to their palate is going to be used to and expect and expect yeah. certain right. types of foods like whole grains and things. And that's what they would basically reach for when given options. Yeah. They'll develop a taste for it. Yeah. Um, and that'll become their comfort food later if mm-hmm. that's what you're feeding them at home. Yep. Um, so yeah, you, again, you have a lot of power early on, use it. Um, and, and I, I think th- something that you just touched on too is just how powerful those initial choices are. I mean, I I can only speak from my own personal experiences that the foods that I was raised on, um, which weren't always the healthiest, sorry, mom. Um, (laughs) but in general, like the foods that are my comfort foods are a lot of times the dishes that my parents serve me repeatedly at home. I think for all of us. yeah. Yeah. And, um, in a good way. So you can really change the dialogue here by making the things that they think about when they want a comforting meal to be a healthy choice that they yeah. were exposed to early um, and not, you know, a bag of chips. 
yeah, or things like that, or just a, a meal that really has low nutritional value compared to something that's made from more whole grains and things like that. So I think they're really the ability to really program your child's brain in a positive way is substantial here. Yeah, it, the younger they are, the more you, the more power you have yeah. to do that. Exactly for sure. Um, Even if that may not be what you as a parent were raised as. Yeah, yeah, right. You can change that for them. Yeah, and I think if there's things, um, realize that at 12 months, your your child's going to want to eat whatever you're eating. So if you're eating mostly white carbs, it you know, try to change it or whatever you're willing to change, try and change that by year because at that point, your child is going to want to eat whatever you're eating. Um, and if that's not what you want your child eating, or if you have thought about changing, that would be a good time as while they're an infant, and you have mm-hmm. you can change it. Obviously, when you're out and about. It's probably going to be white bread. It's probably going to be white pasta. Whatever, it's fine. It doesn't matter, you know. But what you're doing in your home, you can control. It ha- it's, you know, it's most of what you're eating. It's more important. So don't worry about what's out and about as much. You know, try and make healthy choices, but it, it's harder. It'll, it'll mm-hmm. be what it is. And what about um, organic versus non-organic? Do you have a strong preference? I, you know, it, so I, I think the Environmental Working Group, so ewg.org is a great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have something called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean Dozen. Okay, what is what are those? Okay, so the, the Dirty Dozen are the 12 foods that are most contaminated with pesticides, and the Clean Dozen are the 12 foods that are the least um, contaminated with pesticides. Can you give me a couple of examples from each list? Just sure. Because yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, um, so Dirty Dozen, um, strawberries, peaches are both examples of, you know, fruits that are highly contaminated with pesticides when they're not organic. So um, generally, anything that's in the dirty dozen, I buy organic or I just won't get it mm-hmm. for my family. Um, in the clean dozen, um, broccoli and asparagus are examples. Of they're just lower. non-organic foods that have lower levels yeah. of contamination. So when they're not organic, they still have a very low rate of low level of pesticides. Okay. So I will sometimes buy those organic. Um, if it's not convenient, I'll still buy them conventional. It just varies. Mm-hmm. Um, I do tend to um, buy organic um, dairy products. Um, I think those are more important. Um, I try to buy organic meats, but it, 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 it's hard, you know, sometimes I kind of do it when it works and I don't, when it it doesn't work, I don't worry about it too much. So when you're shopping for a certain thing for dinner and you can find the organic alternative and it's available, you get it, but you wouldn't change your dinner plan. Correct. Based on unavailability of it. Yeah. If there's some pre-made lemongrass chicken that looks fabulous, but it's not organic. I, you know, okay. It looks great. I'm taking it home. So sort yeah. of a pragmatic approach. Yeah. But as far as choosing organic versus non-organic, what you're trying to say is, because this stuff's significantly more expensive for a family, but there are really more, there's cost-effective ways of choosing what to buy as far as really exactly. choosing to buy organic things of strawberries and things that would be on the dirty dozen list. Right. So I, th- I think there's ways to prioritize. Everybody yeah. has a budget. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think spending money um, buying organic for higher pesticide foods and, and dairy products um, are more important than maybe some other things. And what is that website again? Um, in the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org. That's really helpful. And they also actually have a database for cosmetics and sunscreens and... Um, uh, household products. So they're, they're honestly a great resource for a lot Sounds of stuff. It. Yeah. Great. Okay. And then moving on, um, to the next level, uh, school age kids. Yeah. So, um, so I think, um, 
as you go from the infant years to the toddler years to the childhood years, um, you know, try to provide healthy meals. So um, for breakfasts and lunches, um, especially as you get into the school years, you want so, you want foods that are high in protein and fiber mm-hmm. um, because it helps keep blood sugar steady, which helps with attention at school, um, stamina for sports and activities, and mood. It's, you know, Absolutely. smoother moods are good for everyone. You need that, yes. Right? Um, and, um, so for breakfast and lunch, those are important. So sugary breakfast cereals are not a good way to have your child get started with his school day or her school day. Um, that'll send the blood sugar up and then crash it. So I sort so of, what, what kind of things do you recommend for breakfast? Cause it really is hard. One, one, you're time pressured. Sure. And two, um, those kids tend to get picky. Yeah. So it, it depends on the kid. So again, you know, when we start talking about picky eaters, it, Different things work with different kids, yeah. and so that's just start. Yeah. Let's start with that. With some uh, quick and easy breakfast ideas. So, um, you know, plain Cheerios with milk is easy. Um, some kids won't eat that. Um, it doesn't have to be breakfasty. It can be, you know, peanut butter on whole wheat toast. It can be leftover healthy pizza. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it can be, you know, it can be leftover dinner if yes. it's healthy. So it doesn't. It doesn't have to be breakfasty. Yeah. Whatever works on your child, but fiber and protein are both good things. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then vitamin supplementation for school age or older kids. Continue so the vitamin D. So the, uh, the vitamin D and the omega-3s are still what I recommend. Mm-hmm. So for, for infants, toddlers, and kids, if um, they're anemic or if they have a low iron diet, then I think some iron supplementation can be important because we know that um, if you have a low, you know, if you're not getting enough iron in your diet and you're anemic, it, it can affect learning and you know, mood and energy Growth and all too, sorts yeah. of stuff. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So it's, that's important. So we want to make sure these kids have enough iron in their bloodstream so they're going to get oxygen to their brains and all their tissues. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think I, I often get the vitamin question as I'm sure you do too. All the time. Right. Um, what I tell people is that food is a much more effective way to get the vitamins you need. So um, really focus on trying to give your child a healthy diet. That said, um, if you feel like, you really aren't convinced that your child's getting a balanced diet. I think there's no downside to giving a multivitamin. No, I don't think there is either. Yeah, so I, I think it's fine. Um, you know, people who want to do it, I don't discourage them from it. But I, I think it doesn't replace a healthy diet. So it's you also don't want people giving a vitamin say, oh, well, we're, we're good. It doesn't matter because it, you know, I, the what you get in your diet is so much more important than a vitamin. Yep, I agree. But the two things I... You do yeah. recommend are the vitamin D and the omega threes. Yeah, I do. I, okay. Which I think you do too. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then for snacks, um, try to you know fruits and veggies are great snacks. Leftover meals that are healthy meals are good snacks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know crackers are fine. Try to you know make them whole grain. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know cheese and crackers or peanut butter and crackers or whatever they and like. This is stuff that obviously you control because it's what's going to be on your shelf. Right. Yeah. And you can also um, sometimes with kids who are not as big a fan of veggies, um, you can put out like a a veggie appetizer before dinner. So Mm -hmm. if they're hungry, they'll snack on the veggie appetizer. And how about dipping things? Is that dips are great. Kids love dips. They do love dips. Yeah. So peanut butter, um, hummus, guacamole. Mm -hmm. um, Those are all great dips. Yeah. Good. And then just to kind of touch on another topic, sort of a tangent, any special recommendations for families? Or usually this is more of a family question, but occasionally it's an individual preteen or teenage question as far as people who are choosing to be on 
different diets. I don't mean different in a odd way. I mean, there are kids who choose to be vegetarians or kids who choose to be vegans. Any recommendations as far as um, vitamin supplementation for that group? Yeah, I mean, I think iron in that group I would recommend. So that's that's an example of somewhere I'd be more concerned about iron supplementation. So, um, you know, I do sometimes have parents come in and say, my teenager or my preteen wants to be a vegetarian. Tell her why she can't do that or she shouldn't do that. And I'll sort of look at them and say, well, actually, I think it's fine um, if she's a vegetarian, but it just means everything else she eats has to be that much healthier. So she can't be a donut vegetarian. Right. So, you know, so it needs to be all whole grains and you're going to need to eat a lot of beans and lentils and you're going to need to. And so I kind of go through, these are all the things you're going to need to do and in order to eliminate a food group, which Absolutely. is just fine. I think that I try to point out to kids who come with that question that vegetable is in the name. Right, so right. You, you're not a pastatarian <laughs> no, right. or a pizzatarian. Right. Actually, that, but so, but if yeah. you're eating vegetables and you're eating protein foods, beans and rice and tofu and things that are right. that have protein, then you're going to be fine. I usually, for those kids, do have them take a multivitamin just because there's b12 and things that aren't going to be present at higher levels you certainly can get them if you're conscientious about it but if they're getting plenty of milk and egg i'm not as concerned about it but if they're if they really are talking about vegan and honestly i am not a fan of people of kids being vegan frankly i i i I know a couple families who are incredibly bright very competent vegans whose kids i think actually are fine on a vegan diet i think it requires some some work a lot and And awareness yeah Yeah. and and i don't feel like i you know i i think for a family who really wanted to have their kids be vegan i would encourage them to see a nutritionist just to make sure that they really are getting everything because Mm -hmm. the the nutritional needs of a kid are different than an adult so there's that brain that's growing and you want to make sure it gets all the stuff it needs well, and I think you don't have choline you mostly get from animal products and mm-hmm. choline's important. Yeah. And so, you know, you might need to supplement choline and B12 and some other things too. So yeah. agreed. Yeah. Okay. So uh, when we're talking about snacks, uh, do you have any specific tricks to get kids to eat healthy snacks as opposed to demanding the lower nutrition of value? Foods. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple tricks. Um, some are more seasonal. Um, you know, obviously in the winter, sometimes soups you can puree things into them and veggies mm-hmm. into them and they don't look like they're veggie yes. type stuff. Um, so that's more, tends to be more of a winter thing. In the summer, one thing I'm really a fan of is whole fruit and veggie smoothies. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can make smoothies and then put them in popsicle forms. Oh, And that tends to be, you know, a crowd pleaser. So I often will start with like bananas, carrots, um, and some whatever milk, you know, you use in the household. Um, and puree it really smoothly. And then you can put a fair amount of spinach in there, just fresh spinach. Um, it just doesn't have a lot of flavor. Kale and cabbage has a lot more flavor, but you can sneak a lot of spinach in there without flavor. And it makes it, I'm sure, bright green, though. It does. So then you put in blueberries. Got it. Enough to mask the color so it's purple. Okay. And then strawberries for sweetness. Okay. And then mangoes if you like it. So it, it depends on, you know, it depends on what your family likes. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I stuck a half pack of Costco spinach into a blender. Um, of smoothie one time and served it to my kids and my daughter's picky friend and didn't tell them about it. Yeah. And they, they all liked it. And you know, who wants seconds? Everybody wanted seconds. So it actually tastes pretty okay. Um, but okay. yeah. And especially stick it in popsicle forms. You can yeah. get away with it. Right. Okay. So those are, those are, that's, that's one option. Um, and um, 
you can also puree um, a lot of stuff into, you know, you can do cauliflower and mashed potatoes um, cooked and mashed together as mashed potatoes and you get the cauliflower in there. You can um, also puree veggies into um, spaghetti sauce and a lot of other stuff. So those are just other tricks for veggies, which are a question. I've actually done the full on cauliflower mashed potato, like from the South Beach diet cookbook. And it is hard to tell. I'm not a mashed potato connoisseur, but it is, when you do this right and you add the appropriate things, uh, pureed cauliflower is really difficult to distinguish from mashed potatoes. Yeah, so those are those are some good tricks for veggies because mm-hmm. many of us struggle with those. Yes, good. Okay. Well, Kathleen, it's been such a pleasure talking to you about nutrition, and I'm so glad you had time to come in and talk to us. So I just want to thank you for your time. And um, if people are interested in hearing more from you or coming to find you, can you tell us where you are? So how can people <laughs> seek you out? Yeah, I, um, I'm with John Muir. Um, I work for Muir Pediatrics in Walnut Creek. Um, we're on Treat, so uh, 1450 Treat Boulevard. Phone number? Uh, 925 Two nine six nine seven seven zero. All right. Well, thanks yeah. for coming out, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thanks for having me. And now let's take a break. And when we return, we'll answer some questions from listeners. And we're back. Before we take questions, I want to remind everybody about our phone-in line, which has been set up for people to call in and leave voicemail questions to be answered on the show. The call-in number is 925-732-6274. We also have a Facebook page at the Owner's Manual Podcast, where you can leave comments or post questions or ideas for the show. Whichever way you prefer, we can't wait to hear from you. And now for the questions. Hi, Dr. Nash. This is Sarah calling from Danville, California. I just wanted to ask about uh, my husband and I have baby number two on the way. And the they're going to be about 20 months apart. And I wanted to ask about the crib situation when baby number two comes along. Um, I want to try and keep my son in his crib until he's at least two years. I think that's the appropriate time to graduate him to a toddler bed. Um, I was just wondering what your opinion was and what's the best way to go about that in terms of buying another crib or just keeping the newborn in the bassinet until my older son turns two. What are your thoughts and what is your opinion on how I should go about that? Thank you so much. Thanks for calling, Sarah. And first of all, congratulations on your impending second child. That's wonderful news. But I think to answer your question, I wouldn't buy another crib. I think it's something that if you need it at all, you'll only need it for a brief period of time. If your older child will be 20 months old when the baby comes, realistically, you're probably going to have the baby in a bassinet in your room for the first few months. And it's not till the baby is going to be three or four months of age before you're even going to think about putting the baby in their own crib. And by then, your older child will be close to two years old. And I think that's a good time to transition from a crib to a toddler bed. So here's what I would do. 
I wouldn't even do a toddler bed because that involves having to have a crib mattress and you're going to need the crib mattress for the baby. I would get a twin mattress and whether you get a full twin frame or just put a twin mattress and box spring on the floor, when your older child gets to be about 22 months old, I'd put that in their room alongside the crib if you have room and have the child play in it or maybe take a nap here and there in it and get them used to being in the, in the bed. Make it a big deal because big boys have beds and let them know that the crib's going to be for the baby eventually, but not yet. And have them go back and forth for, from the crib to the twin bed for a period of time. And after he gets used to sleeping in the twin bed, then it's time to take the crib out of his room and have it be either folded up and taken away somewhere for a month or two, or you can put it in the baby's nursery but not have the baby use it just yet. Then when your older child is all used to being in his twin bed and it's been a month or two and he's not going to feel like his new brother or sister is taking anything away from him, then you can transition the baby from the bassinet into the twin bed. This should be pretty seamless. Now, for some reason, you find that he's just not ready to go into a twin bed yet, or whatever your reservation is. You certainly can borrow a crib to use for the baby for a couple of months rather than having to buy one. There's plenty of people on either next door or friends or neighbors that probably have a crib stored away or that they're ready to give it away that you could borrow for a couple of months until you're done. But I really wouldn't spend money buying a second crib. You're just not going to need it very long. And if you plan the timing right, you won't need it at all. And here's our next question. Hi, Dr. Nash. This is Hannah from Washington. I heard on ads that vaping is a safer alternative than smoking. But now I'm hearing about a lot of people dying. Could you talk more about that? Thanks. Thanks for calling in, Hannah, with such an important and relevant question. Let me start by quoting Yogi Berra by saying, it's deja vu all over again. You know, 60 to 70 years ago, cigarette smoking was considered a hip and okay thing to do, and people didn't really worry about the health concerns. What seems obvious to us now, that inhaling gobs of hot smoke from a dried plant burning that contains dozens of cancer-causing agents and tissue irritants, in addition to a substance, nicotine, that is one of the most neurologically addicting substances known to man, is really, really bad for you. After dozens of studies linking tobacco smoke and now even secondhand smoke to several types of lung cancer, lung disorders, and heart disease, the tobacco industry still doesn't admit the causal relationship between smoking and all the associated problems. For years, the tobacco industry targeted their advertising toward teens and young adults because one, young people don't make the best life decisions, and two, if you get people addicted early, you'll have a customer for life. Think about it. How many people have you ever met that decided to start smoking in their 40s? I can tell you, none. And now, several years ago, vaping came about. It's marketed as a safe alternative to smoking tobacco. But there's no evidence to back that up. There haven't been any long-term studies. And while it seems a little bit intuitive that if there are less known carcinogenic substances that are products of combustible tobacco, there would be less cancer as a result. But there really hasn't been enough time to look at whether vaping is truly safer or really what the health implications are at all. And now let's talk about the marketing of vaping products. When you're selling something that comes in flavors such as bubblegum and mango, 
your demographic target group is not the adult population. It's kids, middle school kids, high school kids, and young adults. It's the exact same strategy as we've seen before. So now after several years on the market, we're starting to see some health concerns. To date, according to the Centers for Disease Control, in this country alone, we have seen 805 hospitalizations from lung injuries and 12 deaths associated with vaping. And those numbers are only going to grow with time. So Hannah, take a minute and think about what you're hearing on the news. I'm glad you asked the question. Read up on the facts and think about how it feels to be the target of a mass marketing campaign. Today's teens and young adults have more access to information than ever before. Make a good choice and don't even think about falling prey to one of the most powerful lobbying groups in this country. I know you're smarter than that. And that's our show for today. I would really like to extend a special thank you to my friend Kathleen Smith for coming in and taking the time to talk to us about infant and children nutrition. I know we've spent several episodes so far discussing food allergies, picky eaters, and now nutrition. And I think that reinforces just how important helping your child to get a well-balanced diet is, especially in this day and age of processed and fast foods. I think the information that Dr. Smith discussed will help parents to make healthy food choices for their child and for themselves. Until next time, this is your host, Drew Nash, wishing you bon appetit and happy parenting. The opinions and beliefs expressed on the owner's manual are that of myself, Dr. Nash, and my guests, and do not necessarily represent those of sponsors or other governing boards. The owner's manual is recorded and produced at Neutron Sound, Danville, California. The content of the owner's manual is the intellectual property of Andrew L. Nash, MD, and One to One Pediatrics Incorporated. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.